Uh, each week what we've been doing in this series, we've been trying to uncover what is it that the Bible says about eternity and how can we understand it so we can build our lives towards eternity in the right way. Today I want to look at the implications of eternity for our life's mission. And in, in a lot of ways it ties to what they're doing in, in Papua New Guinea, but eternity matters for this issue of what's my purpose in life? What's my mission in life? Why, you know, what specifically, God, do you want me to do with my life? We all have within us a drive for accomplishment. People have a drive to accomplish certain things in their lifetime. Whether you're an athlete or whatever, like athletes. Today, you know, the Patriots and the Falcons are going to battle on a football field and they're going to battle for this Super Bowl trophy. And for many people, this is the accomplishment that they're after is, is, is this, you know, beautiful, what, is this the Vince Lombardi trophy? And this is what these guys are battling for. And, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's going to walk away with this trophy. One team and all of these men have dedicated their lives to this effort. This is a huge accomplishment for them. But, some of you, you probably last, you know, you probably watched last year's Super Bowl, but it's unlikely that, you know, that everybody here knows who won last year's Super Bowl. Some of you probably do, but some of you probably don't. It's like, oh, that was last year, right? For them, it was a huge accomplishment. Now, here's, here's a picture of who it was. It was the Broncos. This is the Super Bowl ring from Super Bowl 50. It's a beautiful ring, right? It's a huge accomplishment for them. For you, it's like, yeah, good for them, you know, way to go Broncos. Now, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, I realize there might be a few Denver Broncos fans here that, you know, you're like, hey, that's my team. I'll never forget 2016, the year of the Bronco, you know. And uh, but most of us will forget about the year of the Broncos, you know. And, and But if that's your thing you're aiming at, that's a, that's a huge deal. Depending on your field of endeavor, you have accomplishments that really drive you forward. You're aiming for certain things. If you're a chef, then the chef, you know, would be aiming towards, you know, earning that their restaurant earns Michelin stars. I don't know if you've seen the Michelin star ratings on restaurants, but this is like a prestigious recognition. If you're rated a, you know, three-star Michelin restaurant, this is like the top restaurants ever. I've never eaten at any Michelin, Michelin restaurant. I thought it was a tire company, for one, but, but it's like I've never eaten any... You know, one-star Michelin restaurant, let alone a three-star. But in New York, it says there's 40,000 restaurants in New York. Only this small percentage of them actually earn this rating. If you're a chef, you earn that rating. And that's a huge accomplishment driving you forward to get something like that. Or a businessman. If you're a business person and you're hoping to, you know, build something with business or through business, then maybe you're aiming towards becoming like a business owner or a CEO. Here's a picture of a Forbes cover. This is the founder of Spotify, okay? The founder, you're like, oh, hey, I know that. A lot of you use Spotify. It's a music, you know, it can be an app that you can use to stream music. It's, it's, now, this guy, Daniel Eck, he's worth $400 million, okay? He's 33 years old. You're like, what am I doing with my life, you know? He's worth $400 million. Get this. At age 14, at age 14, he's from Sweden. He found out that companies were charging $50,000 to build websites for people. And he thought, I already know how to do that. So he started advertising his services. I'll build you a website for $5,000. And so, kind of the common businessmen hired this guy all around. And so, you know, he's building websites for 
for welders and gardeners and all these different things. And he's making $15,000 a month as a 14-year-old. More than his teachers, more than his parents. This is quite an accomplished young man. He's a very driven young man. He's no longer young. Now he's in his 30s. This Forbes cover, he was, I think, 28 at this point. But, you know, very accomplished man. Huge accomplishment. Now in the realm of education, maybe for you that's where your focus. Your, your, maybe your focus is to graduate from some university. Okay? And you're just, you can't wait to earn this degree from that prestigious university that you attend. Okay? Here, here's, a, here's a degree from Harvard. Maybe that's where you're attending right now and you're just flying in to visit us here. And, you know, but for some, this is the, this is the huge accomplishment. You know, to step across that stage and to, to shake the president's hand and to get their diploma. All of these different kinds of pursuits may help you in life. But, the hope of heaven actually takes the purpose and the mission in life to a whole new level. And, and I, want, I, hope, I hope you'll walk away today really believing that. That the hope of heaven takes the purpose and the mission of life to, to, to a brand new level. Far beyond earthly accomplishments. And so, pull out your listening guide. We're going to walk through this. It says this at the top. The promise of heaven brings life purpose, life's purpose into focus. <clears throat> in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of heaven from John. John is the only one of the original 12 disciples who, who wasn't martyred for his faith in Christ. Okay, All the other guys, they were martyred for following Christ and then sharing Christ with others. They were, they were killed. John was, it wasn't that they didn't try, but he was not martyred by them. Instead, he was punished and exiled to the island of Patmos, which is an island in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Ephesus. That's off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And he was there on this island. While he's there on this island, John receives a series of, of visions that describe where history is heading and what is going to hap- happen in heaven. So he sees into the future. God gives him this vision while he's there. And he writes down this, and that's circulated amongst the churches. So the book of Revelation is coming as this, you know, God is showing him, this is where history is heading. This is, you know, final things. This is also what's going to take place in heaven. So God, in a way, He lifts the curtain so that John can see what's going on. And the focus in heaven is on the Lamb. The Lamb of God is what is what is is at the center stage in heaven. And so I want to show you some verses here that, that highlight this. In Revelation 5, you have the opening vision of heaven, this worship scene where there's a great number of people larger than anyone could count, and here's what they're declaring. This huge, massive group of people, worthy, they're declaring, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For some reason, all of these people are gathered and praising the Lamb. Okay? The Lamb who was slain. For some reason, this is a huge deal. Because this captures the focus of heaven. Another vision, Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. A great multitude cries out with a loud voice and they declare this, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now in this scene, it says that this multitude is gathered. John says, I saw this multitude. And again, it's, it's a huge multitude beyond anything anyone could count. And it has people from every tribe 
Every tongue, every nation, every people. There's all these people gathered around. Now, when I think about that, I get excited even more so about what the Rimstads are doing amongst that tribe. Because there will be people, Lord willing, around the throne from that tribe as well. You know, that there's this scene where all these tribes and nations and people will be worshiping, and at the center of it all will be the Lamb. The Lamb just becomes the center of attention in heaven. Revelation 14, verse 1. Another verse, John said, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name written, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This group is gathered around the Lamb again. And this is a group that is sealed for protection in the basically in and through the end days. But again, the focus is the Lamb, the one who's at the center. If we back up to the Gospels, in, in, in the book of John, it talks about John the Baptist, the guy who was baptizing people and preaching a message of repentance. His goal was to, his mission was to prepare people for Jesus' coming. To prepare people. Kind of help them get their lives ready. Confess your sin. Clean up your act. You know, God's, God's doing something right now. And at one point, Jesus comes and He's walking and John points at Jesus and says, he says this, Behold, he points at Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He refers to Jesus as the Lamb. This is the Lamb that is being worshipped in, in heaven. But John, when Jesus enters the scene, he says, this is the Lamb. Behold, there He is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He's a prophet. So God is prophesying through Him right here. And John the Baptist, he's proclaiming Jesus' purpose. That Jesus has come to take away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb. And the Jewish folks who would have heard John declare that Jesus is the Lamb of God would make an immediate connection in their mind to the fact that lambs were sacrificed every year. They were sacrificed to the Lord every year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for the sins of God's people. And this was something that God's people did every year. And so when Jesus is called the Lamb, they're thinking, huh, the Lamb? This is a connection that... No doubt some people were familiar with this language. God put the whole sacrificial system in place so that people would know that there's a price to be paid for sin and that God would provide what's needed. He was preparing the world to understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. This is, this is something huge is happening at that point. And now, I've read my Bible and, and I know... In the Old Testament, I see the focus on blood and the Lamb and covering for sin. And I see Jesus has declared the Lamb. And then I look ahead to Revelation and I see Jesus is the center of all attention. Like, for some reason, everyone there in heaven is gathered around Jesus declaring praise to the Lamb. And it's because they've been rescued. That crowd of people in heaven are, are those who've, whose sins have been forgiven. Covered. Like, if you're in Christ, you're going to be a part of that celebration. You're going to be a part of that gathering, worshiping the Lamb. And if you're there, there's going to be tremendous gratitude because you know what God has saved you from through Jesus. You know how you've been rescued. We'll be set free at that point from the, the sin and the temptation and the, you know, the, the ways we blow it here and now. And I, I know that Jesus is the Lamb who takes away my sin. And I know He should be the focus, not just in heaven, but He should be the focus of my life here and now. But for some reason, I don't always live it. 
I mean, I know He should, but I don't always live it. For some reason, many mornings I wake up and I have a vague sense that I'm in a hole with God. And that for some reason, I need to do more good in order to be accepted by Him. And I feel like I have to dig out of it somehow. And so it's easy to forget the spiritual realities that we're looking at. And at the end of the story in Revelation, again, there's this huge celebration around the land because the Bible tells a story of death and life. Death entered through you know, sin. Death entered our world through sin. In fact, there were two kinds of deaths that entered through sin entering the world. When Adam and Eve sinned. Two kinds of deaths. The first was a physical death. Or a spiritual death. Which is a separation from God. Sin brought separation from God. Spiritual death. Separation from our Creator. Huge loss. But then also physical death entered through sin. And sin is a condition of our hearts that results in wrong behavior. And, but it's a lot bigger than just the wrong that we do. It actually is a decision that we've all made in our lives to rule our own lives and to reject God as the ruler. And really, He allows us to make that choice. He allows us to rebel and go our own way in life. Now, the sin of the first man and the first woman, that brought evil, it brought heartache, it, it brought all sorts of pain into this world. And they were hoping, though, that that choice to sin, it didn't look like it was going to bring all that. They thought that that choice was going to bring freedom. They thought that choice was also going to bring pleasure, but instead what they received was death and separation from God, and so do we. And what that did is it sent them on a constant pursuit for pleasure, and we're wired in the same exact way. Pleasure, accomplishments. We try, we try to fill this hole that's in our lives with all sorts of things. Pleasure, more pleasure, accomplishment, people. We think people can fill that hole. And that's what they did. That's what, that's what humans do. And in order to remedy our situation, God, in Jesus Christ, He entered our here and now world and He took the punishment of our sin by dying on the cross. So that now for all who believe and give their life to Him, they don't get what they deserve, which is condemnation. Instead, they are given what they have not earned, which is grace. By God's grace, Jesus has taken away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. And so, when I live, or when you live, like you're in a hole with God, and you live like I've got to earn His favor once again, I've got to do some good to, to, to earn God's favor, I'm forgetting, and you're forgetting at that point, what Christ Jesus has done. And I'm forgetting about the mission that He came to accomplish. I start acting like a slave in that way, rather than believing that God views me as a child. And so here's what Peter wrote. Peter wrote this to the church regarding what we should be thinking about as we live. He writes to the church, "...knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers." Feudal is like, you know... You're spinning your wheels. You keep trying to put a life together, but you've been ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. All these references to the lamb all of a sudden begins to clarify why there's so much focus in heaven around Jesus Christ as the lamb. He he has captured our attention because He's ransomed us from separation, from, physical, from the spiritual death 
and separation that existed, He's ransomed us from that. That has two major implications for a Christ follower. First implication is this. If you follow Christ, then you don't have to spend your days tied up in a knot of guilt and shame trying to crawl out of a hole you feel you've dug for yourself with God. You don't have to spend your days doing that. You can remember, Jesus took away my sins and I can stop beating myself up over the day I just had. I can stop beating myself up. I can stay focused on the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I don't have to wait to heaven to be worshiping the Lamb. I can worship Him right here and now and praise Him for taking away my sin. That is so important. That's the first thing. But then second, I can live with a mission to help others find forgiveness and freedom given to only to those who, who believe in Jesus Christ. I can live with that mission. If He's taken away my sin, then I need to, or I, I you know, I, I have a new mission. Now I'll, I want to help others find freedom from their sin. I want, I want to help others find forgiveness. If you follow Christ, then His mission becomes your mission, and it brings a new reason to live. Jesus' mission was this. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. That, that becomes our mission. He works through His people. That's us. To help others know Him and decide to follow Him. And if we're His people, then this is our mission. To help make Jesus known. I want to show you a clip. This is a video clip from the movie The Emperor's Club. Where a teacher at a very exclusive prep school is talking with high school students about lasting accomplishments. Take a look at this uh, Clip. Listen to what the teacher says and listen to how he tries to motivate his students. Your name, sir? Uh, Robert Brewster, sir. Very good. And you? Deepak Mehta, sir. And your name? Eugene Field, sir. Field. And you? Martin Blythe, sir. Is that a question? Uh, No, sir. Uh, My name is Martin Blythe, sir. Very good. You all know your own names. Question is, do I? Mr. Blythe. Me, sir? Yes, you. Now, Mr. Field to your right, or Mr. Gray to your left, or Mr. Diebel behind you. You, sir. Will you do me a favor and walk to the back of this classroom and read for us the plaque which you see hanging over that door? I am sh- sh- I'm Shutruk Nuhunte. Very good. A little louder, please. Yes, sir. I am Shutruk Nuhunte, king of Anshans and Susa, sovereign of the land of Alam. I destroyed Sippar and took the stele of Naran. Took the steel of Naran Sin and brought it back to Alam, where I erected it as an offering to my god. Shutruk Nuhunte, 1158 B.C. Well done, Mr. Blythe. Thank you. You may be seated. Shutruk Nahunti. Is anyone familiar with this fellow? Texts are permissible. But you won't find it there. Shutruk Nahunti. King. Sovereign of the land of Elam. Destroyer of Sippar. Behold, his accomplishments cannot be found in any history book. Why? Because great ambition and conquest without contribution is without significance. 
What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? Shutruk Nuhunte, utterly forgotten. Unlike the great men you see around you, Aristotle, Caesar, Augustus, Plato, Cicero, Socrates, giants of history, men of profound character, men whose accomplishments surpass their own lifetime and survive even into our own. Their story is our story. What, what strikes me about this clip is that the teacher is appealing to their desire to become people who want, who want to leave a legacy for generations. So he says, how will history remember you? This king was forgotten about that he's referring to. His contributions you know, didn't pass on like some of these other greats that he's referencing. How will we be remembered? He's, he's stirring up this issue because there's something in us that wants to live for more than just the here and now. Christ followers, actually, we have an opportunity beyond this world. And if we serve Jesus' mission, our lives have a lasting impact that carries on throughout eternity, especially if we help people decide to follow Christ. If you help others come to know Jesus Christ, if you, if you, you know, through your relationships, through your sharing, through your life, with your resources, with your time, if you, if you, if we you make His mission our mission, then people's eternal destiny can be, can be different. You know, when we breathe our last breath, whatever decision we make regarding Jesus will determine our final destination. Whatever decision we've made up to that point about Jesus will determine our final destination. I want to show you another video. This is from a very different movie. This is from Bill and Ted. And so Bill and Ted, there's this common picture, and I have a point in showing you this, a common picture of what happens after this life is a, is a meeting between with Peter and the pearly gates. You familiar with this idea? It shows up in jokes and comics, you know, Peter at the pearly gates and all that. It's not a biblical idea. It's this very, very, very loose interpretation of the reckoning that will take place that the Bible speaks of. But in the movie, Bill and Ted end up at the gates of heaven. Okay? And they're not prepared for this scenario. And so at the last minute, they scramble. And in order to get ready, they end up mugging some people so that they could take their clothes to look more presentable at the gates. Okay? And then they walk up to the gates. And then let's look at what they, what they do. Okay? How's it going? What is the meaning of life? Every rose has its thorn, just like every night has its dawn, just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. Every rose 
还是错呢 ？Don't I know you? No. So now these guys, Bill and Ted, they were fools. Okay, they were fools, and they were they were making up life as they went along, and they did the same thing with death. This is how they this is how they lived their lives. We're going to make it up as we go along. It's all about the party. Doesn't matter. And so, when they were asked this question at the gates of heaven, what's the meaning of life? Which that's not what we're told is going to happen. But when they're asked this question, they come up with the lyrics of their favorite rock song from Poison, the rock band. You know, every rose has its thorn. I mean, to them it sounded great. Now the Bible shows us what to expect when we die, and how to prepare for it. Look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. Bible says this: "And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and then after that comes judgment." This is what's going to happen after we die. There will be a judgment. We need to know the question and the answer that we're going to be asked. On that day, the Bible says that the first thing that will happen in heaven is a separation.、And、this is a very sobering scene that we read about. It's a separation where those who choose to follow Christ in this life will be separated into one group, and those who chose not to follow Christ in this life will be separated into another group. There's a separation that's described, and then the Bible says the first question will not be, "What's the meaning of life?" like they show in Bill and Ted, but But more like something like, did you accept Jesus Christ as Savior? Did you choose to follow Him as Lord? That, what did you do with Jesus is going to be the issue in this in this point. The person who accepted Christ and gave themselves to follow Jesus in this life will continue to walk through eternity with Christ forever in heaven. And that picture, that scene of worshiping the Lamb around the throne—that—that's what is is coming. That's where history is heading. If a person rejects Christ, and they reject ultimately, they're rejecting God's rule in this life. Then God will honor that decision, and they will be separated forever in a place called hell. It's a place of unimaginable pain and suffering and torment, and it's unending. The Bible says. And so. We have a mission that can impact people in regard to where they spend eternity. We can prepare people for this, and so I want to wrap up with this. And this is in your listening guide. So, Christ followers' mission in life is to do this: it's to know God and to do His work on earth. We're to know God and we're to make Him known. Part of making Him known is is you know sharing with others, being a light to others. Using the place in life, the platform in life that God has given us, and advancing Christ's kingdom. In Philippians chapter three, we'll wrap up with this. Paul he lists out all these earthly accomplishments in education and religion, and he compares his accomplishments in life and their value. Who compares those things to eternal things? Look at this list. Philippians three verses four through six. Paul writes this very accomplished person. Though he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Like I got bragging rights, Paul's saying. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, "I've got more reasons." And he lists out his resume. He's like circumcised on the eighth day, okay, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he says, I'm blameless. His whole list of accomplishments here, they don't translate well into our world. We don't have the same grid that the first century Christians would have been filtering this list through. Because for us, we're like, eh, no big deal. You know, so he's a, he's a smart guy or he's, you know, he's... No, this, this, this is basically, as far as education, he's like, I was of the most powerful education. I came from a powerful, influential family. From birth, I, I was following the laws of God's people. And basically, he was, he was the cream of the crop. And he says, this is who, this is who I was. Then look at verses 7 through 9. He says this, But whatever gain I had, no matter how good I was, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is his mission statement. Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own. It's not about my own accomplishments or the things that come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's praising what God has done in Christ, not His own earthly accomplishments. And Paul says, hey, in comparison to the value of knowing Christ and living for Him, all of my earthly accomplishments, Paul says, they are like trash. He calls them rubbish, but they're they're trash. He's saying, these were, they look really big, but they're really empty, he's saying. These are like trash. And then skip ahead to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it My own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's got his eyes ahead towards heaven and the life eternal. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Here's the gist. Paul is saying, I have a mission to live in this life that motivates me to get up out of bed every morning. I get after it. I'm not going to be held back by trying to live for accomplishments. Or I'm not going to get hung up on beating myself up over my sin, things in my past. Jesus has taken away my sin. I'm not in a hole with God. The purpose I live for is far too important for me to be drugged back there. And we need to, if we don't live out God's forgiveness every day, we spend our time religiously trying to crawl out of an imaginary hole we think we're in with God. And it's time wasted because Jesus has already lifted us out of that hole. He's lifted you out of that hole. If you're in Christ, He's already, He's already ransomed you. You've already been purchased and bought through His precious blood. Make Jesus the center of your life. If you realize, man, I've gotten off track, I've, I've gotten focused on the wrong things, I've gotten sidetracked. Again, just Jesus, would you just have center stage in my life? I don't want to wait to heaven to worship you, really. I want, I want you to have center stage, the Lamb of God, who's taken away the sin of the world. Would you have center stage in my life today? And help me to live for your mission, because there are countless people who do not know you. And when they face you, Lord, I want to help them be ready for that moment. Would you use me for that? Would you, would you use... Me help help my purpose and all my training, my education, all all the platforms you've given me, the relationship. Would you help me to use all of that to help make you known? 
Because this, this mission really does make a difference. So, and it's beyond this life. Let's pray as we, as we wrap up. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness, Lord, to rescue us from our sin. And then for making a way for us to be part of Your plan, helping others be ransomed and rescued and to cross from death to life. Lord, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Jesus is worthy, Lord. He, he, has, he deserves all praise and honor and glory. Thank You so much, God, that we do not have to work for Your love any longer. If we know You, Lord, if we've responded to You and if we're in Christ, Lord, we don't have to work for Your love and Your salvation. For those that are here that do not know You yet, and they're in the process, they're investigating, Lord, I pray that maybe today they would say, look, God, I don't know even what brought me here today, but I'm here and I'm ready to respond to You. I want Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to turn my life away from going my own way and start going Your way, Lord Jesus. Would you save me from my sin? Would you be Lord of my life? And and Lord, I I ask you to be at the center. Take center stage here and now. Lead me forward, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.